Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure to talk with John Jarbyshire. John is the founder of a company called SmartSuite. SmartSuite is the work management platform that manages any process from any industry on one platform. Now, if you get a chance to go to smartsuite.com, it is a beautiful product. They really focused in on the user experience and user interface of this product. And come to find out in our conversation, they took the time to do that. Multiple years making sure they were designing the right product. He works hand in hand with his designer and then with large development teams to actually build out a product like SmartSuite that competes in a really competitive industry. But that's because John has the heritage to do so. We get to hear a lot about the fact that he has launched, scaled, and grown and sold other companies. He's invested in hundreds of other companies. So he is a serial entrepreneur at heart. And while he could have stepped back and said, you know what, I'm done, he stepped back in and created an incredible product. And I think you're gonna love this conversation. So let's jump right in. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I would love to, to throw it to you. Why don't you give a quick introduction to yourself and to what you do every day? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you just a quick overview of my background so you can kind of understand where I come from, from a product perspective. So um, one of my first big jobs was I was a partner at Ernst & Young, and I ran a consulting practice of about 1,500 consultants. So I had the chance to kind of travel the world and meet customers from a service perspective. And that's where I got my first taste of product and that we would deliver services over and over and over, same services. We'd go back every three to six months to do the same thing. And in my mind, I kept thinking, you know, there, there should be products that would allow us to productize this, sell more as a SaaS type offering at that time. So that's where I started to kind of move into product for the very first time. Hadn't been there before. Uh, I eventually left Ernst & Young and started a company in Kansas City called Archer Technologies. Uh, it was a no-code platform that was focused on uh, processes around uh, governance, risk, and compliance, uh, mainly around uh, the early customers where 29 of the top 30 banks in the U.S. were customers, and they were using us to understand compliance around online banking and how to bring online banking to their customers. So this is in early 2000, 2001 when that uh, started to happen. That's where I got my first big dose of, uh, of being a CEO, but also being a product-led CEO or customer-inspired CEO, I'd like to say, where we basically listened and followed the customer with what they needed. And then we worked to design UI that met and help enhance that process uh, that they were going through at that time. And um, Archer went on to be super successful. We sold that in 2010, 11. I kind of officially retired for what I thought was going to be a long time, but got very, very bored, uh, invested in lots of companies, did a fun family foundation in Kansas City as well. Uh, but what I found with working with entrepreneurs is that, uh, and I focused on on the, the product side, the software side, uh, of kind of tech side. And um, most entrepreneurs didn't have a background in software or design. Right. They knew the process inside out and backwards, but they didn't know how to get the product kind of built. So I spent a lot of time training a lot of young people, very, very bright on the process side of how to get involved in in design um, and invested in about 400 startups kind of along the way. So I had the chance to meet with lots of founders to kind of have those types of experiences. And one common thing came out of most of those discussions were what are the products that we should use to run our own business? And as we grow as a business, do we need to move to another product? You know, can the product scale with us? 
So that led to where I'm at now. We started a company called SmartSuite that helps organizations manage any business process or project on a single platform. We work with people from a single user to Fortune 100 companies, everything in between. Um, we have about 200 um, best-in-class process templates that are available. That's how people get started. And UX UI is at the heart of everything that we do. And I hope we can really dig into that because that's the that's who we are as a company. And that's where I feel the industry is really headed. So sorry for such a long-winded uh, intro. That was fantastic. No, that was fantastic. That that leads us to actually something I wanted to, to point out, which is you can tell that UX UI is really important um, in your product because it's really thoughtful um, the way it's designed. And I've, I've seen multiple people in YouTube review your product up against other ones saying, you know what, they did a lot of things right. Um, so maybe you could tell me about those early stages of getting this product up and off the ground. What was that like to shape a tool that maybe... <clears throat> in some ways would have been the tool that you wish you would have had or that you would hope other some of your investments would have to better help their company run. What did the team look like? What were your early steps? How did you start to form uh, something from just an idea concept all the way up to what it is now, which is a thriving business? Yeah, the very first thing I did was just get, get a handle on the competitors in the market and the space that's there. And that's why I, I really, you know, kind of cancel back to product managers and entrepreneurs that that's always the place to start, right? Make sure you really understand what's out there. So for us, it was about 30 people in the overall space that we had. Uh, and um, so I spent about two months just understanding each one of those. And I collected 400 data points on each one, which and for each data point, I collected a screenshot. And then I put them on large TVs where I could set and try to understand the different markets that where people are in, the different UIs that they use to help customers kind of get there. And I really wanted to prove to myself that there was a lane for us to play in with a product that could solve this problem in a new way, taking advantage of new technologies that weren't available even five years ago, especially from the UX side where we could make things look cosmetically better. They could be faster, more performant, just a better interface with the customer that was there. So once I knew that we we, we had a lane that we could play in and we had a company that was there. The first person that I hired was a designer, if you can believe that. Um, and I, I, I didn't want to use the network that of designers that I'd used in the past because I wanted something different. And I'd always been very specific on what I wanted. And those designers were trained to that. And I needed, I wanted like a different mindset coming. So I scoured the world. I used Upwork and Fiverr and different places just to find designers, trying people out for a week or two with some ideas. And I finally found one person in Sofia, Bulgaria, of all places, yeah. um, that just had a different mindset that fit what I was trying to build. Uh, he was a millennial. We were going after millennials and Gen Zers with the interface that was there. So I was trying not to do somebody a little older. I wanted somebody that was kind of in that. And I also wanted somebody that would listen to what I wanted and would give me those designs, but would push me and say, here's three other designs. I did what you asked for, but here's three other ways to think about solving that problem. And that's what I love to do. I, I spend an hour and a half to two hours of every day, even though I'm the founder CEO of SmartSuite, working specifically with our designer and with customers and partners to understand you know, what we can do better down to the pixel level, down to the, you know, one little color difference in the shading of a line, you know, that's in there can make a difference in perception. So that's how we got started. And to fast forward that journey, we, we then started hiring a development team after we had the initial designs, kind of the mock-ups kind of complete uh, that were there, meaning um, not 
we didn't have every feature complete. We just had some of the initial starting points complete. And then we hired about a hundred developers. I think we're in six different countries uh, that we hired people to actually start working on the project. And we spent two and a half years working on the core technology before we released it to our first customer. Wow. Just to give you an idea. So it wasn't like a, a small lift, a couple of months, you put something yeah. out there. This is a big, big product uh, with lots and lots of screens. I think there's over 3,500 different screens in the product to date uh, that are there. And I have a single designer and myself that have designed every page. And that's what's unique about the approach that we took was that I, I felt like for this company to be successful, it was the UI was gonna set the stage to interact with the people. And I, I listened to one of your prior podcasts and I really liked that you, you said that you treat design as a language, you know, it's a mindset. We treat it the same way. Like it's the first thing in the tech stack is the UI. Then comes performance. Once you get the UI done, right? You optimize. Yeah. Then comes the security, you know, something, the other pieces that are there. But if the UI is not there, I feel like, you know, the product's not where it needs to be to support the customer. Now, I need to be super clear to our listeners that I did not pay John to go straight to my heart, right? With this focus on UI UX. This is so good. Um, I'm curious. I want to, I kind of want to unpack that a little bit because. This is actually a similar way that we approach working with our uh, partners or with our clients is really trying to say, how do we start first with design so that we can move fast, iterate, really refine the direction we want to go? Not all of them have the luxury of then going and finding teams of hundreds of developers, uh, being able to have the runway to go two and a half years without uh, some type of customer engagement. But Talk to me a little bit about those early stages of design. Were you were you testing those designs with potential customers? Did you create a you know customer advisory board? How did you how did you make sure that you were designing the right thing? Yeah. So the, the first one, the first part of that, maybe the first stage was we had to get comfortable that the product was was displaying in a way that made sense for us. Right. It right. had the visuals that we wanted to be there. And that, that took a while for us to iterate through lots of different things before I finally said, that's it, right? And then we began to build our component library kind of around that so that we could reuse things very easily. We use Figma. And yeah. we, uh, we started with InVision and we moved the Figma early uh, into that journey. And then at that point, we started getting user feedback. Um, <clears throat> we do that in a couple of ways. We reach out, I reach out direct every day to partners and customers and get feedback. Like today, we're we're making some updates to our grid control, which sounds super simple, but it's just that one little pixel and that one little mm -hmm. touch of color in that right place that makes things different. And what we found is that when we, when people share our grid control through a Google Meet and then put it in a meeting on a TV, sometimes the lines are too faint and the UI doesn't look as good in that environment, right? Mm -hmm. So we're solving that particular problem, you know, that, that's there. Um, we, we also um, we use a product called Canny that collects customer feedback for us. And mm -hmm. each time that we have a new feature that we roll out, I identify the people that are kind of the power users around that particular feature. Um, and then we not only meet with them to understand requirements, we then start sharing designs through Canny back to that team to okay. get feedback on that, like this versus that. And I can tell you that we just rolled out a feature called repeating task that probably went through 15 iterations with that group before we felt like, we nailed every feature they needed and the UI was simple enough that just a general user could understand how to actually use it. Like the first designs were 
solve the problem, but complicated, like just too many pieces, right? So I'm big on, on lots of iterations and that all happened before we had any discussions with development. That was just the design, you know, the product team, design team with customers and partners. I'm curious if you were to juxtapose the, you know, the experience that you have now working on a new startup, you know, you've been in this industry for a long time and go back to your early days, the EY days of trying to launch a thing inside of a, a large corporation. Obviously there's the bureaucracy of making decisions that way. But one of the things that what you're describing seems like a dream for many people to say, oh, I can, I can sit here and I can iterate and I can listen to the feedback and I can, you know, especially for product teams themselves, but a lot of uh, our listeners and a lot of the folks that we talk to, whether they're in mid-level or upper-level management or executives, they really struggle to go, well, shouldn't we get it right the first time? Yeah. Right? Shouldn't, we, shouldn't that just be, if I'm going to spend, you know, put how many zeros you want behind that to get this product out, it better be right the first time. How, what, what's your response to that? Because I think that the way that you're thinking, the product teams love you right now. The executives might be like, oh, you know, so what's, how do you hold that tension? Yeah, well, I'd say when we talk about iterations, we're talking about we may do two or three iterations in a day with customers. Like we get feedback, the designer is listening, we're making changes. Sometimes we're doing it live with a group of 15 people saying, you like this versus that? Does that solve the problem? What about these colors that are there? So I, I'm big too on shortening that the time cycle as much as possible in the design. So you can get it to dev and you can get going. But what I hate is when you get, I, I hate to get something to dev that's 80% and they're working on it and you're making changes. And that happens in a lot of product teams that I've worked with. And it just takes the, you know, the time frame just begins to extend or you, the code is not as efficient as it should because you're building things on top of each other in a way that you wouldn't have done if you had everything you know, all at once. And when, when I do start with founders and companies that, that talk to us about um, just how to get started with design, you know, what's different about today than even 10 years ago is so many, there's so many component libraries that give you a starting point and they come in all different versions and flavors. So you can kind of pick a style that meets what you're looking for in a design library. And it just makes things super efficient for your designer and Figma pulling things in. Uh, as well as just you as maybe you're not a designer and you're just trying to visualize how things might look. You can do some of that yourself if, you know, before you sit down with the designer. That gets you like 90, 95% sometimes. And then you have to you know, do a little bit of customization to kind of fill in to get the, you know, the brand that you're looking for. Yeah, that's really good. We, um, years ago, we were pretty controversial because we, we pulled back from doing long phases of like wireframing. And the reason we did that was because we had moved to these tools like Figma that allowed yep. us to design nearly pixel perfect so much faster. When the reason we wireframed early on was because you wanted to reduce time, right? Yep. You wanted it to get feedback and that was good. It had its time because it took a while to design something out in Photoshop or, you know, things like that. Now with, with these collaborative tools like Figma, I mean, like you said, you can iterate within a day or, or less. Yeah, we, we that, that's really interesting. We do no uh, wireframes, right. zero. We go right to, we just start pulling in the pieces with our libraries, you know, even if it's me, sometimes, I, you know, again, I'm not, a, I'm a wannabe designer. Um, and I do a lot of things in slides where I'll do mock-ups to say, here's what I want. And I'll cut and paste pieces from the component library and put them in as a starting point. And sometimes I even get feedback on that from customers before I send it to the designer. But it's just, the, the tools are, make it so much easier for you to be very efficient today than five, six years ago.
Yeah, no question. Okay, now I'm, I'm kind of curious about the way you structure your teams because it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, you have you you and your designer are um, collaborating on a really rapid basis. You're really you're upfront. You're doing a lot of that work to get as much of the 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 definition upfront, and then you're handing that to a development team that's kind of executing that, taking that, putting that into future development, and then rolling it out to, to users. This is slightly different than some other tech companies that might say. Uh, to work in a more of a pod model, which is um, they'll have designers spread across multiple teams, especially when you're saying you have hundreds of developers right. working in cross-functional product management, design, maybe multiple developers, et cetera. Talk to me about how your teams are structured. Yeah. So our development team is broken into four separate teams uh, that we have. So mobile is one of those. So then we have three teams that are kind of on the website uh, that's there. We have our core team, kind of a specialist team, and then an integration automations kind of team. Uh, mm -hmm. that fits in. Um, we have one of those teams that manages our own internal component library. Uh, so we didn't purchase one. We built most of our controls ourselves. But if something is needed in a design, we have a team that specializes in that, that just gets it ready. And then it's available to everybody to kind of use and snap inside of, you know, you've got pages with headers and different controls and sections. Like we like all that to just be easy, just to pull those items over uh, to kind of get going. I don't know that I recommend for other companies to have a single designer like us, but yeah. since we were able to spend the first couple of years just working on the product, it allowed us to build our, our library and our controls in a way that we're reusing almost everything now as opposed to creating a lot of new stuff. So it's yeah. just, that's super efficient for us. So it allows us to have one main designer that does that. And then we have product managers and, um, project managers that are associated with each of those teams and then an overall release manager that coordinates you know everything that we do uh, and we use microservices and lambda that allows yeah. each of those teams to kind of work independently so we can be um, you know releasing new updates in different areas of the product weekly across different teams as opposed to doing one big release maybe every four or five weeks I'm curious, as you were getting set up, when you were building out this product, or maybe even as you've continued to build out this product, what are some of the challenges that you've come up against? Some of the things that you went, oh, that was an unknown unknown that we didn't see, whether it was from a technology standpoint or from a market standpoint or from the way that users came back and give you feedback, what's something that, that popped up that you weren't expecting? Yeah, you know, we spent a lot of time early on on our tech stack, and we even hired some outside consulting firms to look at tech stacks of some leading companies to help us like really get that refined. And this goes back about four years, four and a half years ago when we started that. And Angular was kind of the, the front end piece that we picked. Right. And after about six months, we realized we'd made a mistake and needed to switch to React. Yeah. Um, and that was, that set us back some period of time. We had built a lot of our core capabilities in that first six months that needed to be rewritten. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, then we had to have Angular and React on the same page at the same time and had to use some wraps, you know, some special things to make that happen. But that was technology wise. That was like the one thing that, that, that we found in the tech stack that, uh, that hurt us early on. That I think you're, you talked about four years ago. I can vividly remember, I mean, we, so Crema started out as we did JavaScript, but it was just purely JavaScript. And then we were really our Ruby on rails shop. So we were uh -huh. doing a lot of MC, MVC framework, a lot in rails. And then we started to transition. We did a lot in Angular, as as everyone did. 
Um, and then we saw this moment, and actually it was a little bit earlier that we started testing this new thing called React, React.js that was coming out from Facebook. And we were like, oh, this is really clean. The team was really excited about it, but it wasn't yet open sourced. So it's still owned by Facebook. And Got most it. of our clients were enterprises. And so we were like, we want to use this, and there's rumors it's going to be open sourced. And we had a couple clients that took a risk early, early, early. It's probably six years ago. I'm trying to remember how old it is. I'm terrible at timelines. Right. But they they basically they they took a risk, and a, you know, a few months into the project, it open sourced. It went to its its you know now that it's not going to be a risk that they they say they own all that. Right. Um, and um, but I remember we had these things that, like you said, were in between. Uh, and there was a big shift in the market and there still is. I mean, to some, some extent, a lot of folks that are still kind of trying to figure out where am I going to get talent? How am I going to yeah. sustain that talent? Um, there's less angular developers in the market now than there is react, you know, all the boot camps were teaching react. So yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And a lot of companies felt exactly what you went through. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've worked with a lot of startups that went through the same thing and, you know, for some period of time, Angular was was it, and it was yep. really good. And uh, React just kind of one upped it in quite a number of areas. But just the performance of React on pages over Angular, and then the ability to to write unit tests and things kind of on the back end with that were two big things that pushed us very quickly, a hundred percent. You just mentioned testing, which actually brings me to a topic we haven't talked too much on the podcast, but how do you approach testing? That's, this is something that's um, often forgotten by product teams because it's about you know build features and ship features. There's a little bit of debate. Some people will say the developers should write their own test and they should pass fail those tests. And there should be some of that. But do you have dedicated test engineers or, or a group that can do that type of work? That's a great, great question. So we went down both paths multiple times uh, with different stages of the company uh, that's there. Um, you know, I, I think it's always best if the, the person that wrote the code can actually write the test for the code. <laughs> and with AI now available, it makes things so much easier to be able for them to do that more efficiently. Uh, yeah. That's there. Um, you know, so we started off that way and then we said, wow, we don't want to waste so much time with our best developers writing unit tests. Like we want them to keep creating really cool stuff. So we brought in uh, really uh, productive, you know, outside resources to, uh, to focus on the test focus on writing those tests and in many cases, automating that process. Um, what we found for us specifically was that they would get stuck in certain places. And what do they do when they get stuck? They go call the developer that wrote the original code and they work together on that. And we found that we weren't being that much more efficient, if at all, with that environment. So we, we move back to like 90% now are written by the, that's just part of what's expected from a developer when yeah. they check their code in is that part as complete. We have to have 95% uh, test coverage or they get sign off for some reason that they don't uh, that, that's in there. And that's worked well for us. But I can tell you, I would work with and have friends in other companies that don't believe in that model at all that have entire departments of people that write just unit tests. I don't know that there's a right or wrong. Um, I think yeah. that it is, like you said, it depends on the stage. We happen to have test engineering, uh, what we call craft. So we think of all of our craft teams. So we have our design craft team, our development craft team, test engineering and product management. And so one of our crafts we ended up shaping, and that was primarily for us to have at least someone who could speak into best practices. So even right. if it is the developer writing the, te you know, the, the tests, who's the person that could you know, speak into the tool set or the, the, the um, way that we were going to write those automated tests or I mean, those types of things that we all kind of, kind of have a shared understanding across you know, multiple teams. I think that's, right. that's where we found it was good to have at least someone dedicated to that, even if the day-to-day -day is done by a very specific person. Sure. 
Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so you've you've set this company up. You've spent a couple of years launching it, getting it to market. Uh, you're going into a relatively crowded market, you know, with a lot of other tools that are offering this um, this kind of promise of a somewhat unopinionated, although I love that you have templates and I want to go to that in a second, but allowing a person to say, this can tackle almost any of your business process needs or workflow needs. Um, what was it like coming into a market that had other tools with that, you know, not to plug anybody else, but to say other tools like Asana or even Notion was getting into that space or ClickUp or, you know, these others, how did it feel or what were some of the challenges going to market with your new product? Yeah, I'll tell you, there, there's two distinct types of categories of products that are there. There's the project management tools that you're mentioned, it would be like a Monday, a ClickUp, an Asana, a Notion kind of fits into that you know, productivity side. Yep. Then you've got more business process automation tools with maybe like an Airtable, a ServiceNow, yep. a Mindex, you know, the bigger guys that are there. And what we knew about all of those players were that they were fairly well established with the, with just a few exceptions that I've mentioned and that they'd been in the market, some of them for 12 years with a product that they've iterated on multiple times and had a pretty large um, you know, user group or set of customers that were there. So we felt that we couldn't enter the market solving the problem like a traditional MVP product does where maybe we solve 35% of the problem because mm -hmm. that problem's being solved already. So no one's ever going to pick us if we did that. Yeah, and they do always, less than they do, right? Right, right. So there's no value you know, proposition in that. So that's why we spent two and a half years to build the core platform so that we could compete head to head right at that moment. And we kind of brought our own spin on top of that with unique features that we thought would help teams be more collaborative, you know, just easier to get work done than the other players that were in the space. So the biggest challenge for us is, you know, launching was how, how do we get the word out that we're here and how do we get somebody to move away from one of these companies to us? And the, the best path that we found was video. So we, we went and identified um, our top, who we thought were, our top three competitors across that space. We found the number one influencer for those products from a, a YouTube video perspective. We contacted each one of those and, um, and said, look, we're a new product on, on the market. We know that you've built a business. Most of them provided consulting services around, you know, the videos that they did. So let, yeah, let's say Airtable as an example. So we approached the number one person there and said, just compare us to Airtable, share your, your candid thoughts back with your users what we wanted to happen was we wanted to, we were hoping that they would say, wow, this is like way better than I expected when I went into the review. And what happened across our top three was we converted all top three influencers over to us. Oh, wow. And so they changed their business model to include SmartSuite and the other product that they were talking about. And now we've created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos about how to use SmartSuite compared to those other platforms. So that got us that's helping get us in the conversation for the first time. So we have no direct marketing that we do today, no paid marketing. Everything was through uh, video on LinkedIn and YouTube to kind of build the momentum, the awareness. Oh, and that's where I came across your tool. Um, okay. So I'd seen it even before the opportunity to do this podcast. We had, we had, we had um, seen it several times. Our team had picked it up and kind of said, is this something? Now, I'll be honest. The team was, that's usually me going, hey, everybody, look at this new new thing, this new shiny thing. And right. at a certain point, I think I lose influence because I'm always bringing them a new shiny thing. Um, so I have to I have to pace that a little bit better now. But um, yeah, I think that's where we saw it is from video content, which is something that we leveraged as an agency, uh, I guess, of sorts as a service company for the last five years was 
we started shooting YouTube videos, right? And a lot of it was behind the scenes about how we thought, our approach, what our favorite tools were, you know, how we build our teams, et cetera. And it was see how it's made. There's an authenticity to it. There's a transparency transparency that your millennial Gen Z that you were targeting really value. Right, right. Yeah, we, we also found that, you know, going after millennials and Gen Zers, the reason for that is we feel those are the people in companies that get work done. Like yeah. they're the ones hands on keyboard. You've got, you know, and that age group is, you know, 21 to like 36, 37, kind of in that. Mm -hmm. You get into that 37, 38 range, you're starting to move more into management where you're not doing as much day-to-day -day work, but you're looking at reports and dashboards and, you know, helping, um, you know, influence the processes that are in place, but not actually doing the work as much. So RUI was specifically built for that, those two uh, groups. We spent a lot of time just sitting down and watching you know, those individuals use the product. And I, I tell one of the best stories or one of the best ways that I'd like to, to get feedback is I'd like to have a camera on the person that's actually, you know, reviewing the product. And I'm asking questions because they don't always tell you exactly what they think at the mm -hmm. moment, but I can watch their facial expressions. I can tell when they don't like something like yeah. just that subtle yeah. change in the facial. And when they like it, they get that little grin or their eyes light up. Just like, you know, like that's it. Like that's the design. So we spent a lot of time with that group to understand that. And what we found with our, our product in particular is that people wanted to be more collaborative in the way that they worked. They were used to using Facebook and Twitter and you know, all these social media platforms. There were capabilities that were on those platforms that simple things that they just wanted in the context of doing the regular work. And that if I have a friend, you know, a colleague in the company that's working on something, even in a different department, I might want to just say high five, like great job, you right, know, just right. the data feed of things that are happening. Or I want to at mention somebody in the company and create a task right then and there. And they're notified that I can have a conversation, almost like a Slack channel built into each task or piece of work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the last part that we really found from that group was that they wanted to really understand who they were working for, the values of the company, the goals and objectives for the year, the quarter, yeah. Yeah. to see if they bought into that or not. And it was interesting to see that people would say, I, I would choose not to work at a company if I don't believe in that, that particular value uh, that's there. So we ended up building all of those pieces in and then uh, Gen Zers and specifically the use of color was that there was a night and day difference in how they reacted to the product with just subtle changes to more vivid colors, more vivid lines than uh, a product like I would be used to, which I call, you know, smart suite is not your dad's software product. Right? <laughs> yes. it, was, it was just a bunch of stuff on a page that looked like a grid. In most cases, I really didn't worry about the color. I just did my job. Gen Z is very, very different than what they, how they want to interact with the software they work with. I think we found, because a good portion of our staff is in that kind of category as well. And one of the things that we found is, is they're very focused on experience. And right. so experience and experience in all of life, right? Whether it's the experience of now being able to work hybrid or the experience of, you know, hey, I want to be able to travel the world at least a couple times a year or the experience of, I want to, I want an app that, that I can see every cursor moving on the screen, right? I mean, it, to, to everything was about this shared experience, um, which is why we ended up navigating towards tools like Miro, where you can see everybody in the same shared space, or of course, Figma, where we're all designing on the same file. Um, or even more recently, we started using Framer for some of our kind of promotional sites, which is um, kind of like yeah. a, a new web flow. And Framer back in the day was actually a JavaScript library, which that's how I remember it. And it's become this really beautiful collaborative design build tool. 
Um, And I think that people are expecting this shared experience in their products now, um, which is a technical lift as well. It's it's one thing to say, yes, of course, that's what we want to give you. It's another thing to actually do that well. It it is. Yeah. Technically, you know, there's quite quite a few advancements in the last three to four years that make that much easier to do, but it's really hard to make that super performant. You know, we have like a Google doc, we have a field type in our product that's called a smart doc. It's like a Google doc and it allows multiple people to come in and make edits at the same time. And you can see everybody making the edits and the edits that they're making that came specifically from that group, from what you just said, they want to actually see that in real time of what's happening and collaborate together as they're working on something and not have to go to a Google Doc or Miro or something to make right. that happen. They right. just want to just do it right now as they're as they're working. So now we're having to use things like WebSockets and we're having to use these you know new, yeah. new technologies that allow us to do that real-time collaboration, which is both exciting, both from a technical lift perspective and also from a like, wow, this is really neat to see people use products like this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think going forward in the no-code space specifically that that shared experience that you're talking about, that's just part of the tech stack now, right? You know, sockets are a part of everything that you do that's just really changed in the last couple of years specifically. And some of the older products that have been around for maybe 15 or 20 years and built their tech stacks are having a hard time catching up there specifically because they just weren't built to be able to accommodate that. It's just, it's a bigger lift for them to make that change. We've been talking about how, and I've had this conversation with a few other folks in the podcast around this this shift from um, from CRUD or you know create, read, update, delete to you know this this new collaborative way of thinking, and that's a shift that even for my kind of my generation, which is just on the cusp of that change, because right. it was so much easier from a database perspective to go, I need to you know write that to the database. I need to update the database or I need to delete it from the database. That was, it, it made sense from a storage, from a DevOps right. perspective. Now the DevOps is being asked to say, hey, nothing is going to be there for longer than about 0.3 seconds. You know, <laughs> like just let it flow, you know? So, right. yeah, that's great. Well, John, I want to I want to be respectful of your time. This has been so good. I, I one question I love to ask everybody that comes on is what's something you're excited about right now, whether it's with your product or your industry where do you think, see things going that you're getting uh, getting excited about? Yeah, I think it, both industry and product and the, what I'll tell you about, and you know, it's, it's AI, artificial intelligence. Is It went from zero to 100 about eight or nine weeks ago from yep. a lot of people talked about it and nobody implemented it. Chat GPT changed the world for products to be able to use their API and build um, AI very easily back into pretty much any product in record time. In some cases, you know, you can do things in three or four days to make features available using AI. We're seeing that across the board. You know, Suite can help you with any business process, you know, sales, marketing, HR, product management. Um, so we're seeing two main categories where AI is being used quite a bit. Marketing, number one, product management, number two. On yep. the marketing side, it's as simple as I'm writing a blog content and I've, I've got you know, long tail SEO keywords that I want and this particular audience. And we've built that into our core product, like a a number of products have. And somebody could just say, I need to do X, Y, and Z. It needs to be 1500 words. You know, here's how I want you to break it up. And it can create that in five to seven seconds that maybe took you, if you're a good writer, 20 minutes, if you're somebody like me, probably really an hour, you know, to create (laughs) something like that, right? Because you rewrite and rewrite. The quality is just amazing um, that's there. We're also finding a lot of usefulness where people have like product requirements and you can 
uh, take the requirement, highlight that, say, could you summarize this in two paragraphs for me, right? Or could you write a product description for this particular new feature that's there? Or could you create a list of action items based on the requirements? That's a starting point for me. And all those things I just said are huge time savers to get started uh, for people. So that's where we're seeing the biggest buzz is content creation or reviewing of existing content, not just in SmartSuite, but kind of across all no-code productivity types of platforms. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no question. You can't ignore it. It's There was a little bit of like, is this going to be the hype of Web3, you know, crypto and all that? Are, are we going to get that? And then, it, and then it just kept going. We just yeah. saw this traction and this uh, that adoption that is just, I know when my, my so my oldest daughter, um, she, she, she never lies. I mean, not that I know of, she's never lied um, in her life. She, she then uh, we, she signed on to something on her Google account for school. And we said, what is this thing? It's, it says AI. And she had secretly gone over to AI and started asking it to answer questions for a study guide or something, which they're not <laughs> even supposed to use Google. And so innocently, she, she couldn't find the answer in her books. So she went to the source that could like find the answer for her. And so I gave her props. It's like, hey, you were resourceful and no, no question. You'll spend the rest of your life doing that. Right. While you're in school, you need to follow the instructions to find it the right way. But it was when you realize your kids are adopting it, or even my wife has used it. There's uh -huh. this, there's this, it's past the layer of us kind of early adopter technologists and immediately moving into common culture, which means the rest of the products have to catch up. Um, yeah. And they are at record speed. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many, you know, CEOs of, of product companies that I'm, you know, connected with, and that is the conversation. And, everybody has is either built it in in the last four weeks or it's yep. going to be built in in the next two at a starting point to solve some problem and that's because of customer demand you know, like they're yep. all afraid that all the other products have it if we don't have it customers are going to go somewhere else because it just makes their life especially on the content side so much easier yeah that's right i'm excited to see where it goes because i think that there's a few things to figure out from both the security standards perspective and from a and from a scoping perspective too one of the conversations we had recently was how do you um chat gpt makes really great sense when you're just needing it to be open content creation but when you needed that content creation to be scoped to your data or for your knowledge base it's a little more difficult um, it's not quite as plug and play and i think that's where we're going to see people go from Oh, this is novel. This is cool to, oh, this is useful um, at a whole new level, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. I, I think that it, it, it's happening right now and that there's hundreds of customers or hundreds of products that are being built around that problem that you just have. And we actually in SmartSuite can allow you to take a data set and ask a question and have it look at the data set. That's your data and come back with information that we call insights that may help you run your business better. And that's like the holy grail for a a business owner in the future is like, I have all the data. Here's my sales data, my marketing, my product. Like, can you just help me understand it? And how do I go get more customers? And it could help you say, if you spent this much money in this particular area, you could expect this percentage of new customers. Very exciting. Very exciting times. Okay. Well, John, I really appreciate this conversation. First off, uh, Smart Suite is incredible. I think from a UX UI perspective, from the, the, the amount of intention and intentionality you put into it, Thank you, because that's hard to do. It's hard to build teams that do that well. Um, and then thanks for your investment into other companies that are doing the same. It sounds like that's been a part of your passion is to help other people explore this as well and have these types of conversations. But with that, I want to kind of roll out the red carpet for you. Where can people find you, SmartSuite, or any other products you're working on right now? 
yeah, I have one big ask that I'd like to say on, on a podcast like this is come visit smartsuite.com, start a free 14 day trial of the product. We want to hear your feedback, good and bad, especially on the UI. Like, do you get it? Do you not get it? Why? Like, just be brutally honest and let us know. If you love it, uh, you can move to one of our paid plans. If after 14 days you don't, you can move to our free plan, up to three users, unlimited usage uh, that, that's there. Uh, if you'd like to reach me personally, uh, in the bottom right of our product, you can click on the little icon to start a message, a conversation with one of our onboarding team. You could just say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with John. They'll put us in contact. Or you can uh, just DM me on LinkedIn is probably the, the best way. And, and anybody listening to the podcast, I hope you heard from this conversation, he actually listens. He really wants to make the product great. So John, I think that's fantastic. Let people engage at that, that intimate and personal level is super cool. Well done. Wow. Thank, thank you. It's been a pleasure, George. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And um, again, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead and uh, subscribe on your favorite podcasting channels and uh, give us a little review if you can. That'd be really, really helpful. John, thank you so much for coming on today. All right. Thank you, George. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us. Mm -hmm.